Good morning. My name's Tim. I, uh, I serve here as teaching pastor. Uh, and over the last, oh, through the spring and in the summer, we've been teaching through the book of Acts, walking through this uh, account of the early Jesus movement. Today we're going to take a break from that. We're just going to put pause on that for a week. And we're going to uh, have some time with uh, our guest of ours, uh, Pastor Richard Ellison, who, as Bob said earlier, uh, was pastor of Hillcrest uh, some four decades ago in the mid-70s during a really pivotal time in this church family's history. And uh, so this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, just kind of share a few thoughts to open us up. Uh, invite Richard up. He and I are going to have a conversation, hear from here, him some stories. And then I'll wrap us up. Um, and that'll be our, our teaching time this morning. Does that sound all right? Yeah. All right, good. So, uh, so well, to begin, um, 2001, summer 2001, there are these uh, couple of clinical psychologists who were interested in the question of, they're, they're interested in, in, in kids and what enabled kids to be, per, to be particularly adept at handling stress and challenge in their life. They wanted to know, these kids that could handle, whether it was some kind of sickness or failure or challenge, what, what was it that was happening in these kids, and particularly what was taking place in their families that enabled these children to handle challenges and stress well. So what they did, these, uh, what they did is they got four dozen families, and uh, they, they followed around for a summer. They taped them, they videotaped them, they listened to them, they, followed, they listened to them during meal times, how they interacted, what they talked about. And then they took the kids and they gave them a kind of a battery of tests, kind of how they, to see how they handled challenges and interviews and, and that kind of thing, how they handled challenges and stress in life. And what they found is uh, they found this pattern that there's this one thing that families that did this one thing, families that did this one thing, it correlated with kids... That, that had a higher self-esteem, a higher sense of control over their world, a higher ability to handle challenges and stress. So that was the summer of 2001. Well, then, of course, in September 2001, 9-11 occurs. And the psychologist said, we want, we want to go back to these same kids and families now. We're curious, not only, how did they, not only how do they handle personal challenges, but how do they cope with this national trauma? So the, the psychologists, they go back to these kids, and they kind of test them again, ask them about how they're thinking about this national trauma. And it turns out, again, the families that did this one particular thing, families that did this thing, these kids, better, they, they had better ability to cope with this national trauma. And in fact, in the, in the 15 years since then, they've done, there's been multiple other studies following up on this, multiple other studies. And over and over again, they've seen that families that did this one thing, families that did this, their kids had higher self-esteem, higher sense of control of their life, lower rates of anxiety, lower rates of depression, all these things flowing out of this one thing. And this one thing was that these families together remembered their family history. They told family stories. They told stories about how mom and dad met and what grandma and grandpa studied and when the family business failed and when they started this new thing and when they moved. They told family stories. Families that remembered their history together. These kids had this higher ability to face challenges, face stress in their life. They were part of something bigger. They knew where they had come from. Now, for those of us familiar with biblical faith, this shouldn't be surprising. Over and over and over again in Scripture, God says, remember, remember, 
Remember who you were when I found you. Remember how I rescued you. Remember how I've shown myself faithful to you. Remember, remember, rem- remember the mistakes you've made. Remember how, remember how I found you even after that. Remember how I healed you. Remember, remember, remember. Remember who you are. Remember who I, God, am. Over and over again. And so, um, and so, so much to the point where they would even, um, in ancient Israel, they even came up with these, these physical images to help people remember because remembering was so important. And so, in ancient Israel, down around, around the nation, there would be these things called standing stones. Big stones stood up. So that when somebody walked by and that stone was stood up, when, when you see a, a stone in an odd place or standing up somewhere, what was your natural reaction? Why is that stone there? Right? That's what I do. Why is that stone there? And, they, and so what they do, they'd set up these standing stones after God had, done, God had met them. And so people, they'd walk by, why is that stone there? Well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about that. Let me remember together. So, so Jacob, um, in the book of Genesis, Jacob is fleeing, his, fleeing for his life. He's full of fear, leaving the promised land. And, uh, and, and it says, at this place called Bethel, God meets him in a vision. And God encounters him. And the next morning, what does Jacob do? He sets up a standing stone to remember. Generations later, the people of God, they're in slavery in Egypt. God rescues them. Moses leads them out of slavery in Egypt. They go to this place called Mount Sinai where the people form this covenant relationship with God. And what do they do? Moses and the elders set up 12 standing stones to remember. And then the people of God, they wander through the wilderness. 40 years of wandering. Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it to this promised land? Finally, they make it to the promised land. They cross this river Jordan. And as soon as they cross the river Jordan, what's the first thing they do? They set up 12 standing stones. And in the beginning of the book of Joshua, it gives the reason why. God says, set up 12 standing stones, set up 12 standing stones so that one day you and your kids are going to be walking, walking by and your kid will say, why is that stone there? And you can tell them the story. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you how God has been faithful to your parents and to your grandparents and to your ancestors. Let's remember together. Because when we remember, because memory and identity are all bound up together. When we remember, we know who we are. When we remember, we know I know who you are. When I remember my my history with you, I I know who you are. I know who my community is. When I remember, I know who God is. When When I remember how God has been faithful to me, how God has been faithful to my spiritual ancestors, I know who God is. So with this in mind, this idea of remembering in mind, I'd like to uh, invite Pastor Richard Ellison up now so we can together remember some of our church family history. So, uh, Pastor Richard, welcome Pastor Richard. Here you go, sir. It is good to be up here with you again. I had fun first service. Well. I enjoy being up here with you. Did you really? Yes. Gosh. <laughs> I wish some more people would enjoy me. Oh, no, yeah. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, so Pastor, Pastor Richard, you, you were, um, you're up here from Arizona visiting us. Mm-hmm. You and your wife, Leona. Is right. that correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. she's here. I'd like to recognize my wife. Yeah. Uh, Leona, please stand. 
Leona was such a big part of what we did here. Mm -hmm. How can I forget her? There she is. Uh, she's, she's my bride of uh, 71 years. Oh. We've, we've been married 71 wow. years. Um, and more. That is I wonderful. mean, we're going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, she, uh -huh. she sat down there and she said, don't forget me. And I said, Leona, how can I forget you? We've been married 71 years. Oh. You know. well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And now, you. Uh, you were pastor uh, of Hillcrest in the early 70s. And you, when, when you began pastoring Hillcrest, one of, one of, the, thing, one of the stories I love is that um, it was known as, at that time, it was known as Revival Tabernacle, mm -hmm. and it met in a funeral home, which I think is wonderful. <laughs> Revival Tabernacle, come to the funeral home. We'll be there. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. You know, it was actually fun. Uh-huh. It was fun. Yeah, it uh -huh. actually was because um, I wished we could do it again uh -huh. because God has been talking to me about, you know, the calling that he gave the 12 disciples. Mm -hmm. He said, heal the sick and raise the dead. Mm -hmm. And we neglected to do that when God <laughs> gave us an opportunity, you know, that we neglected that. And wouldn't that have been fun? That, that would have been incredible. Uh, I think uh -huh. I think my life would be different now if I would would have had that ministry back that, then. That would have been that's true. I yeah. think we could have influenced a lot more people. Don't uh -huh. you think so? Yeah. yeah. If we raised the dead. <laughs> that is yeah. true. Why not? Jesus said to do that. From there now on, I'm going to raise the dead. All right. All right. I've been in a lot of churches and raised them up from the dead. So yeah. why not individuals? All right. All so, right. So anyway, we used yeah. to be evangelists. So. We stirred them up. Boy, yeah. did we stir them yeah. up. <laughs> and so it was, tell, um, tell the story of how, how, did it, how did God bring it about? You, you were a revival tabernacle meeting in a funeral home. How did God bring it about to move from there to South Bellingham at this building with the new mm -hmm. name Hillcrest? How did that, how did that okay. take place? Well, first, we had to be humbled. Mm -hmm. We came to... Bellingham in 1968, a small church called Revival Tabernacle, mm -hmm. and it started growing, mm -hmm. and we had a lot of, where's Bob? He called Brady a hippie. <laughs> we had real hippies to begin with, and they started coming out of the hills. College came out of the university, the mm -hmm. college. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think of him as a hippie. I think he was a protester of things that he didn't believe in happening in the world. How many believe we ought to protest what's going on in the world right now? I do. I, th I think it's time for us as believers uh, to pray because that's the solution to what's going on in the world. If my people will humble themselves and seek my face and pray, and turn from their wicked way. And that he, God said, I will hear from heaven and will heal your, hand, your land. And so uh, uh, that's what we need to do. We need to protest what's going on in this world by praying, seeking God, and loving everybody. Say amen. amen. Yeah. That was really weak. Try, try us again. You know, this church used to say, 
amen. Yeah. You know. So I think we ought to try that again. Let's come on, say amen to it. Amen. You know what I, you're saying, amen? I forgot now, so do you remember? <laughs> no. <laughs> so Hillcrest Chapel. Yes. The name and the location. Okay. Yeah. We went through a process where people didn't want long-haired people in the church, and so okay. we had a son-in-law that had hair that was growing a little bit over his ears, and they didn't like that. And then we had people coming and getting saved and long hair and no shoes and, you know, chewing nuts and things like that. And they fit right in at uh -huh. first, but uh, on the nut side. Uh -huh. but <laughs> anyway, um, so we had a split. Uh, and a church wanted them pretty bad in town, mm. invited the entire board over to become part of their board. So we had an exodus. Mm -hmm. Good people left because of what was going on, and good people went other places. They were all good, but not at the same mind. And so uh, anyway, it humbled me. Because to come to church and be prepared and you've lost 150 people or so was not really fun. Believe me, it was humbling. But God brought me down as well as brought the church down. Because we'd come off of the evangelistic field and, and it was a ministry I loved, and we was able to motivate a lot of churches. But I found myself uh, having people that didn't like me mm. for some reason. I, I couldn't understand that. <laughs> Who can understand? Because most of us think we're right about something. Mm. But anyway, we were humbled. And I don't like to talk about it, but I think it's part of the story, how God will take you from a place of looks like defeat and do something for you. And so, and I'd like to say this, and I'm, and I'm off track sometimes and tell stories, but I think this is important. God didn't save you for the purpose of what you were, but God saved you for what you could become. He's seen what you could be and what you were called to be and saved you and then helped you to mature. If you're the same as when you came in and you said you got saved, and you're the same today, you're an invalid, and you haven't grown or you haven't matured in what God wants you to become. Everyone, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to make you a kingdom and a nation of priests. That was the purpose of bringing them out because they from a, was from a lineage of the father of faith, Abraham. And he wanted to bring them out to make them the strongest nation in the world, 
to be the most powerful, richest nation in the world, and they were to be a kingdom of priests. And that's the reason the Simon Peter, when he wrote the book of First and Second Peter, said we are a peculiar people. We're a royal priesthood, zealous of good works. And so God wants us to be a peculiar people in the world, a holy nation. I left that out. I want to bring it back in. He wants us to be peculiar, holy, and zealous of good works. How many believe that? So we got our work cut out in the world we live in today. So the only way you can do that is is to um, be humble before God. What, it, what does the Lord require of thee but to humble thyself and walk before the Lord thy God? So I, I was humbled, and God was interested in growing a holy church, a wholesome church. And, and so we had, a, we had a few people that remained, but they were very few. Because the good left, and the good, left, you know, went their way. And one of the one of the first people that came, and I can't remember Dwayne, his last name. He was one of the that stayed. He was a university student. Then Scott and Julie Session came, and we were still in the old building, but we wanted to get out of that. And that's the reason we went somewhere, and we wound up in a funeral home. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a nice funeral home. Mm -hmm. But um, we were on our way. We were like the children of Israel when they come out of Egypt. We were on our way. And whatever God was doing, it was in his hand. Because I've recognized myself as a glove waiting for God's hand. And I take no credit for what happened other than the, it was kind of like a wave had come along and swept us, swept our boat in a direction, and we were led by God, and we really didn't know what God had in mind or what God was doing, really, when it come right down to it. But when Scott and Julie came, we loved them right away. Yeah. I mean, we just appreciated it so much. Then they invited Brady. Brady was... Um, he came and in combat boots. He had a beard, and, and I, think, I think it was a, a big overhauls, too, wasn't it? Didn't you have a big overhauls on? Or, yeah. yeah, something like that, uh -huh. anyway. Anyway, um, <laughs> and he, he come walking in, and, uh, and so I don't know. There was something about Brady that yeah. just made me like him right from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, we went out to Chicken Lee's. Uh -huh. And I can't remember what we had. We probably had deep fried fish. I had so much of Chicken Lee's chicken and deep, deep fried chicken and deep fried fish, deep fried potatoes, and almost killed me. Yeah. Had a heart attack and had four arteries plugged up at one that two that was 100% plugged up, and one nine, 99%, and another one 90%. And it was all Chicken Lee's grease, you know. <laughs> and I never did tell him that, but, you know. <laughs> I, 
I ate everything that was in front of me that was deep fried, you know. <laughs> See, and and oh, the doctor thought I was dropping dead in the office, in his office. Uh -huh. He put me on a treadmill and I was on it for a little bit and my blood pressure went to 70 over 40 and I was, I was almost to fall over and he, he started shouting at me to lay down. I, I was ready to fall down, you know, and, and uh, so he was ready to call the ambulance and said, you're going to Seattle for open heart surgery, you're dying. He called the family thinking I was dying in his office and I was. But um, when he said, if I'm going to go get, take you to Seattle for uh, open-heart surgery, I said, no, I'm going home. Because I was preaching that God was a miracle worker. I said, I said if I can't live it, I'm not preaching it. I'm going home. So that's what I did. I don't even know how I got home. I was so weak, but I got home. I laid on my back. I felt like 10 tons was pressing me through the floor at night and couldn't get out of bed. My wife, God bless her, she took care of me. And Clancy's health food store, Clancy heard he had a radio, we had a radio station at that time, and church did. Uh, and we, he was on the radio with a, his business and talking about, you know, uh, eating right and living right and supplements and things like that. He sent a whole box full of literature over to me and I read it and I prayed. Mm. I had people pray. Most people said go get the hop go go to the hospital and get the operation. One man, a Catholic man, Mike Westford. Mike Westford. I hadn't. I wasn't going to tell this story. Okay. But sorry, Tim. <laughs> um, Mike Westford um, prayed for me, laid hands on, prayed for me. My my full gospel people said, "Oh, they're successful with the operations. Go get the operation." I said, "If I can't preach, I can't believe. If I can't live it, I'm not pre preaching it, and I'm going to live it." So, Mike, nothing that I know of happened with anybody's prayer, even my family, until uh, finally the family got together and said, Dad, something's got to happen, but it's up to you to make up your mind what you're going to do. If you go get an operation, we're going to believe it's successful. If, you, if you're going to faith it, we're going to stand with you. Then things started happening. But... I never will forget, I finally got up so that I could go to the bathroom by myself and I shuffled out of the house and I was standing in front of our house and all of a sudden I felt God's presence come over me. It was like a canopy dropped, like a tent of his presence dropped over me and I heard God say, I am the God that healeth thee, and I need no help. It was like that. And I looked up and I said the most stupid thing. I do that a lot. <laughs> I said, God, 
whether I live or dry, uh, no, dry? Yeah, no, <laughs> let me start over again. Whether I live or die, I'm trusting you. He already said I'm the God that healeth thee. And here I said uh, I'll trust him whether I die or live, you know. <laughs> Why didn't I say thank you? <laughs> I'm going to live, glory mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. He's going to heal me. Mm -hmm. But I trusted him. And from that moment on, it was progress. Mm -hmm. One year later, I was doing what the doctor said I'd never do, even if I lived. We were over on the Columbia River hunting chuckers, mm -hmm. my son, Michael, and I. I had been out hiking in the cliffs one year later, and we, he was on one ridge and I was on the other one. And we started running back to the boat which we had traveled in down the river to hunt the chuckers. Michael hollered across the, his ridge to me, Dad, you got to write a book, he said. It was such a fun thing to be out there again hunting and fishing and doing everything, playing racquetball, doing everything by God's help and God's healing power. How many know that God is still in the healing business, still in the miracle business? It's okay if you say something like amen. Uh, but uh, anyway, those things started happening. And uh, that actually was in 1979. Sorry. Uh-oh. Sorry. You, no, that's uh, fine. Um, that's the reason I'm sitting here, though. Uh-huh. Yeah, I because, am thankful yeah. you are right. doing yeah. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> we, started, we started growing again with college students. Uh -huh. Man, I loved them because they had listened to me. <laughs> and you could preach as long as you wanted, and they were hungry for more. They were, they were the most wonderful people, you know, to work with. Brady was, he was a man. I mean... Brady, God bless him. At Chicken, back at Chicken Lee's, he was in church once, and I invited him to go to Chicken Lee's, you know, to have have chicken. That's what we did most of the time after church. We went and had chicken. And that was, and you're, uh, and out of that relationship, birthed. Yeah, I asked him to come and be the youth leader. To uh, to West. First time Kansas. I met him, I said, "Hey, come be the youth." youth leader. Still had combat boots on and beard and all that, you know, stuff. He still wears a beard. <laughs> and, and it was I so love Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Brady is well loved. Yeah. <laughs> and that was all, but it, I mean, so much of what I hear about um, is you, you had such a big heart for, uh, you had such a big heart for people who did not yet know Jesus, whether it was, whether it was, you said, the barefoot nut chewers or the, the, the youth, you know, or the youth around the city or the students at Western's campus or even um, the single parents getting the daycare, uh, which we call Hillcrest Early Learning Center now, getting mm -hmm. that started. But over and over again, I hear about this heart for people who didn't yet know Jesus. What, how, how did God give that? Where did that vision for, for them come from? Uh. I guess because when God found me, I was a 16-year-old, drink, drinking beer, hmm. 
working hard to get enough money to drink beer. That's when God found me. And uh, my dad and I was actually cutting wood. And we'd cut the wood and throw it in the truck, and I took it to Sandpoint, Idaho, and sold it on the streets at 16 years old. And so, um, and come back with beer. And when God found me, God called me when I was in the pit. God called me when I knew nothing about him. One night, 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, on a stump ranch in Sun Point, Idaho. We, my family wasn't Christian. We actually played for dances, and family band, and, and everybody thought it was really cute to get me drunk. Hmm. They'd bring me whatever. I'd drink it all. That's when God found me. But God appeared to me in a dream one night, 16 years old, dark. In my dream, it was black as black could be. All of a sudden, it divided like this, like a curtain was opening up of a scene of a man with outstretched arms like this. And there was a voice that said, Behold, he cometh. I didn't know. I didn't know God. Didn't know nothing about him. But my life was changed like that. I got up in the morning and told my parents about the dream. And my mother said, oh, God is dealing with you. You need a Bible. So she actually got me a Bible, and I started reading in the back of the book, the book of Revelations. I didn't know anything, and I still didn't know anything when I was reading the Revelation. It was a mystery book to me, but I couldn't lay it down. I kept reading until I got to the 18th chapter where it was a scene of Jesus on a horse, a white horse, and on his side was written the Word of God. And then it, things started making sense a little bit. That, and then I started reading the New Testament. And by then, these are long stories, so I, I got to quit it. But I, <laughs> <laughs> Leon and I was married by yeah. then. Yeah. We were very mature, but... We got married when we were barely 17. She was 17 in May. I was 17 in June. We got married in July. Can you figure that one out? Some college student figured that out. That's not very long, you know. <laughs> but it, was, it sounds like it was your experience of being, uh, being saved, uh, saved by Jesus when you were as lost yeah. as lost mm -hmm. could be. That birthed in you a real heart yes, for, for the absolutely. Yeah. And I was impressed by the fact that God so loved the world that yeah. he gave his only begotten son. He yeah. loved the world. Yeah. And he said, go and preach the gospel yeah. to every creature. Yeah. I felt called to preach yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah. I wanted to go out. My dad died right just a few weeks after I got saved. Yeah. And 
when I started reading about Jesus and his ministry, I wanted to go out in the graveside and raise dad from the dead and yeah. didn't do it. But yeah. that's, I, that went in my mind, you know. Yeah. I ought to go out and raise dad from the dead. Yeah. I'm still thinking that way, you know, <laughs> about raising the dead. And God's reminding me that's the call. Yeah. Heal the sick and raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Freely you receive, freely give. Yeah. And so uh, there's nothing too hard for God. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Nothing too hard for God. Yeah. Uh, we've had a couple people that we've prayed for that came back to life. I don't, you know, they said they were dead. Uh, they didn't say it, but somebody else said it, yeah. <laughs> naturally. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Richard, we're, that gave, anyway, to make, with all that story, yeah. I have to say, yeah. I believe that everybody should hear and every should, everybody should have a chance to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Amen. And so that's it. Richard, yeah. thank you very much for being with us today. Um, you, you'll be here after, after service a little bit if people want to chat with you. Mm -hmm. can, I, can I end by praying for you now? And then we'll, uh, we'll worship a little bit more. And then at the end of the service, I'll uh, invite you back up and you pray for our church. Does that sound good? I, I would love to do that. All right. Let me okay. pray for you. And then uh, we'll wrap up at the end okay. and have you pray for us. You're going to pray for me now? Yes. Yes, Thank sir. Thank you, brother. All I right. appreciate that. Oh. You, you know what? What's that? I love you too. I love you too, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah. <laughs> Will you pray with me? Father, Son, Spirit, uh, we do pray uh, for Richard and Leona uh, and their family. I we are grateful uh, for um, we're grateful to them. Uh, grateful, God, for what you've done through them, how you've ministered. Uh, Father, we recognize every life in this room has been affected because of your faithful work through Richard and Leona. And we say thank you. Um, thank you for the way that you've watched over them and been in their marriage and been in their lives. We do pray your blessing over them um, as individuals, as a family. We pray you bless them in their ongoing ministry. I know Richard's heart is to continue to teach about prayer and bless him as he uh, continues um, to talk about uh, you, God, and connecting people to you, God. And thank you for his heart, uh, for the outsider and the forgotten. Thank you uh, very much, Jesus. And we pray all this in your good name, Jesus. Amen.